Hello, and welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast, the podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. My name is Teddy, and I'm going to read a story from an old book, not one that is particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. On tonight's episode of the Bore You to Sleep podcast, we're listening and reading Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, originally published in 1884. If you've been enjoying the podcast, that's fantastic. Thanks to everyone who has left a comment, and I'm glad it's helping. If it's also helping you, well, I would love to hear from you. Please leave a comment or rating in your podcast app. It allows me to bring more and more episodes, which I really enjoy, especially if it's helping everyone get a good night's rest. In the meantime, relax, and hopefully this book makes you feel sleepy. Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain Chapter 1 You don't know about me without you have read a book by the name of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. But that ain't no matter. That book was made by Mr. Mark Twain and he told the truth mainly. There was things which he stretched, but mainly he told the truth. That is nothing. I have never seen anybody but lied one time or another. Without it was Aunt Polly or the widow, or maybe... Mary. Aunt Polly, Tom's Aunt Polly, she is, and Mary, and the widow Douglas is all told about in that book, which is mostly a true book with some stretches, as I said before. Now the way that the book winds up is this. Tom and me found the money that the robbers hid in the cave, and it made us rich. We got $6,000 a piece, all gold. It was an awful sight of money when it was piled up. Well, Judge Thatcher, he took it and put it out at interest, and it fetched us a dollar a day apiece all the year round, more than a body could tell what to do with. The widow Douglas, she took me for her son, and allowed she would civilize me. But it was a rough living 
in the house all the time, considering how dismal, regular and decent the widow was in all her ways. And so when I couldn't stand it no longer, I lit out. I got into my old rags and my sugar hog's head again and was free and satisfied. But Tom Sawyer, he hunted me up and said he was going to start a band of robbers and I might join if I would go back to the widow and be respectable. So I went back. The widow, she cried over me and called me a poor lost lamb and she called me a lot of other names too but she never meant no harm by it. She put me in them new clothes again and I couldn't do nothing but sweat and sweat and feel all cramped up. Well, then the old thing commenced again. The widow rung a bell for supper and you had to come to time. When you got to the table, but couldn't go right to eating, but you had to wait for the widow to tuck down her head and grumble a little over the victuals, though there weren't really anything the matter with them. That is... Nothing, only everything was cooked by itself in a barrel of odds and ends. It is different. Things get mixed up and the juice kind of swaps around and the things go better. After supper, she got out her book and learned me about Moses and the bulrushes and I was in a sweat to find out all about him. But by and by she let it out that Moses had been dead a considerable long time so then I didn't care no more about him because I don't take no stock in dead people. Pretty soon, I wanted to smoke and asked the widow to let me, but she wouldn't. She said it was a mean practice and wasn't clean, and I must try to not do it anymore. That is just the way with some people. They get down on a thing when they don't know nothing about it. Here she was a bothering about Moses, which was no kin to her, 
and no use to anybody being gone. You see, yet finding a power of fault with me for doing a thing that had some good in it. And she took snuff too, of course, that was all right, because she done it herself. Her sister, Miss Watson, a tolerable slim old maid with goggles on, had just come to live with her and took a set at me now with a spelling book. She worked me middling hard for about an hour and then the widow made her ease up. I couldn't stand it much longer. Then for an hour... It was deadly dull, and I was fidgety. Miss Watson would say, Don't put your feet up there, Huckleberry, and don't scrunch up like that, Huckleberry. Set up straight. And pretty soon she would say, Don't gap and stretch like that, Huckleberry. Why don't you try to behave. Then she told me all about the bad place and I said I wished I was there. She got mad then, but I didn't mean no harm. All I wanted was to go somewheres. All I wanted was a change. I wasn't particular. She said it was wicked to say what I said. Said she wouldn't say it for the whole world. She was going to live so as to go to the good place. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going. So I made up my mind I wouldn't try for it. But I never said so, because it would only make more trouble and wouldn't do no good. Now, she had to get a good start, and she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to go together. Miss Watson, she kept pecking at me, and it got tiresome and lonesome. By and by, they fetched them in and had prayers, and then everyone was off to bed. 
I went up to my room with a candle and put it on the table. Then I sat down in a chair by the window and tried to think of something cheerful, but it wasn't no use. I felt so lonesome, I most wished I was not there. The stars were shining, and the leaves rustled in the woods ever so mournful, and I heard an owl, away off, woo-wooing about somebody that was not there, and a whippo-will and a dog crying about someone else who was not there. And the wind was trying to whisper to me, and I couldn't make out what it was, and so it made the cold shivers run over me. Then away out in the woods, I heard that kind of a sound that a ghost makes when it wants to tell about something that's on its mind and can't make itself understood and so can't rest easy in its grave and has to go about the way every night grieving. I got so downhearted and scared I did wish I had some company. Pretty soon, a spider went crawling up my shoulder, and I flipped it off, and it lit in the candle, and before I could budge, it was all shriveled up. I didn't need anybody to tell me That was an awful bad sign and would fetch me some bad luck. So I was scared and most shook the clothes off me. I turned and got up around in my tracks three times and crossed my breast every time and then I tied up a little lock of my hair with a thread to keep witches away. But I had no confidence. You do that when you've lost a horseshoe that you found instead of nailing it up over the door. But I hadn't ever heard anybody say it was any way to keep off bad luck when you'd killed a spider. I sat down again, shaking all over, and got out my pipe for a smoke, for the house was all as still as death now, and so the widow wouldn't know. Well, after a long time, I heard the clock away off in the town go boom, 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 twelve licks, and all still again 
stiller than ever. Pretty soon, I heard a twig snap down in the dark amongst the trees. Something was a stirring. I sat still and listened. Directly, I could just barely hear a meow, meow, as soft as I could. And then I put out the light and scrambled out of the window onto the shed. Then I slipped down to the ground and crawled in among the trees. And sure enough, there was Tom Sawyer waiting for me. Chapter 2 We went tiptoeing along a path amongst the trees back towards the end of the widow's garden, stooping down so as the branches wouldn't scrape our heads. When we was passing by the kitchen, I fell over a root and made a noise. We scrouched down and laid still. Miss Watson's servant named Jin was sitting in the kitchen door. We could see him pretty clear because there was a light behind him. He got up and stretched his neck out a minute, listening. Then he says, Who's there? He listened some more, then came tiptoeing down and stood right between us. We could nearly have touched him. Well, likely it was minutes and minutes. There wasn't a sound and we all there so close together. There was a place on my ankle that was starting to itch, but I didn't dare scratch it, and then my ear began to itch, and next my back right between my shoulders. It seemed like I'd die if I couldn't scratch. Well, I've noticed that thing plenty times since. If you are with the quality, or at a funeral, or trying to go to sleep, when you ain't sleepy, if you are anywheres where it won't do for you to scratch, why you will itch all over, in upwards of a thousand places. Pretty soon, Jim says, Say, who is you? Where is you? Dog, my cats, if I didn't hear something. Well, I know what I's going to do. I's going to sit down here and listen till I hears it again. So he sat down on the ground between me and Tom. He leaned his back 
up against a tree and stretched his legs out till one of them almost touched mine. My nose began to itch. It itched till the tears came into my eyes. But I didn't scratch it. Then it began to itch again. Next, I got to itching underneath. I didn't know how I was going to sit still. The miserableness went on as much as six or seven minutes, but it seemed a sight longer than it was. I was itching in eleven different places now. I reckoned I couldn't stand it more than a minute longer, but I set my teeth hard and got ready to try. Just then, Jim began to breathe heavy. Next, he began to snore. And then, I was pretty soon comfortable again. Tom, he made a sign to me. Kind of a little noise with his mouth. And we went creeping away on our hands and knees. When we was ten foot off, Tom whispered to me and wanted to tie Jim to the tree for fun, but I said no. He might wake and make a disturbance and then they'd find out I wasn't in. Then Tom said he hadn't got enough candles and he would slip into the kitchen and get some more. I didn't want him to try. I said Jim might wake up and come. But Tom wanted to risk it. So we slid in and got three candles, and Tom laid five cents on the table for pay. Then we got out, and I was in a sweat to get away. But nothing would do Tom, but he must crawl to where Jim was, on his hands and knees, and play something on him. I waited, and it seemed a good while. Everything was so still and lonesome. As soon as Tom was back, we cut along the path, around the garden fence, and by and by fetched up on the steep top of the hill on the other side of the house. Tom had slipped Jim's hat off his head and hung it on a limb right over him. And Jim stirred a little, but he didn't wake. Afterwards, Jim said the watchers bewitched him and put him in a trance and rode him all over the state. 
and then set him under the trees again, and hung his hat on a limb to show who had done it. And next to Jim told it, he said they rode down to New Orleans, and after that, every time he told, it spread it more and more, till by and by he said, they rode him all over the world, and tired him most to death, and his back was all over saddle boils. Jim was monstrous proud about it, and he got so he wouldn't hardly notice the other servants. Servants would come miles to hear Jim tell about it, and he was more looked up to than any other servants in that country. Strange servants would stand with their mouths open and look him all over, same as if he was a wonder. Servants are always talking about witches in the dark by the kitchen fire, but whenever one was talking and letting on to know about such things, Jim would happen in and say, hmm, what you know about witches, and the servant was corked up and had to take a back seat. Jim always kept that five centerpiece around his neck with a string, and said it was a charm the devil had gave him with his own hands, and told him he could cure anybody with it, and would fetch witches whenever he wanted to, just by saying something to it. But he never told what it was he said to it, Servants would come from all around there and give Jim anything they had just for a sight of that five centerpiece, but they wouldn't touch it because the devil had had his hands on it. Jim was most ruined for a servant because he got stuck up on account of having seen the devil and been rode by witches. Well, when Tom and me got to the edge of the hilltop, we looked away down into the village and could see three or four lights twinkling where there was sick folks, maybe, and the stars over us was sparkling ever so fine. And down by the village was a river, a whole mile broad, and awful still and grand. We went down the hill and found Joe Harper and Ben Rogers, and two or more of the boys hid in the old tan yard. So we unhitched a skiff and pulled down the river 
two mile, a half, to the big scar on the hillside, and went ashore. We went to a clump of bushes, and Tom made everybody swear to keep the secret, and then showed them a hole in the hill, right in the thickest part of the bushes. Then we lit the candles and crawled in on our hands and knees. We went about 200 yards and then the cave opened up. Tom poked about amongst the passages and pretty soon the duct under a whole wall where you wouldn't notice that there was a hole. We went along a narrow place and got into a kind of room, all damp and sweaty and cold, and there we stopped. Tom says, Now we'll start this band of robbers and call it Tom Sawyer's gang. Everybody that wants to join has got to take an oath and write his name in blood. Everybody was willing. So Tom got out a sheet of paper that he had wrote the oath on and read it. It swore every boy to stick to the band and never tell any of the secrets. And if anybody done anything to any boy in the band, whichever boy was ordered to kill that person and his family must do it, and he mustn't eat and he mustn't sleep till he had killed them, which was a sign of the band. And nobody that didn't belong to the band could use that mark, and if he did, he must be sued, and if he done it again, he must be taken care of. And if anybody belonged to the band told the secrets, he must also be taken care of. Everybody said it was a real beautiful oath, and asked Tom if he got it out of his own head. He said some of it, but the rest was out of pirate books and robber books, and every gang that was high-toned had it. That concludes the readings from tonight. Hopefully you're feeling a little drowsy, and if not, please listen to another book. In the meantime, good night and speak to you soon.